0: Well, it's great to be back with you again this morning. Uh, Last week, uh, I was preaching for the Nomads. I was with a bunch of Nomads last week. That's a ministry of the United Methodist Church. It's primarily made up of folks who've retired, and they decided to buy an RV, and they travel all over the country to offer volunteer labor to churches and charities, uh, to help them uh, build things, repair things, and so last week was their national annual meeting in Memphis, Tennessee, and I was invited to come and to preach for their opening worship service, and I'd accepted that invitation before um, I found out I was going to be your pastor, and so uh, I did miss you last week, and um, um apparently y'all heard Jim preach last week and nobody showed up this week is that what happened (laughs) I am deeply grateful for my good friend Jim filling in last week and um I pray that all of our folks who are traveling this week for fall break um have a have a great time but I'm glad to be back with you we're in the middle of a series on the book or the letter of James Uh, We uh, started this several, several weeks ago. Uh, If we look at the story that we read today, the part of the letter that we read today, it's kind of interesting. You know, if you're founding a new city or if you're trying to attract people to move to your city, you probably have the kind of person that you want in mind to move to your city. You want somebody that, that brings Uh, money. You want somebody that can help you pay taxes. You want somebody that's well-educated. You want somebody that's going to add value to the community in which you live. And uh, and if you're looking for a place to live, you're oftentimes looking for those same kinds of things. You're looking for a place where you could be productive in your career. You're looking for a place where you might be able to provide financially for your family and to support your family. And it seems seems as if that's exactly what's happening in the part of the letter that we've read today. James gives this image of someone who's perhaps got a map just spread out on the table and they're looking for a place to go. And it's as if they take their finger and they point it down on this one place and they said, this is where we're going to go. We're going to go there, we're going to stay for a year, we're going to make lots and lots of money, and then we're just going to leave. And that's the image that James has created for us in this scripture. And what James seems to be saying is that we should not be so confident about the future. Because the truth of the matter is, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what the next moment holds, the next hour holds, the next week holds, the next month holds, the next year holds. And so James seems to be suggesting to the hearers and to the readers of his word is that you shouldn't be quite so confident about what's going to happen in the future because you don't know the future. Now, one of the things we've been talking about in this book of James is that James is believed to have been written by the brother of Jesus, the younger brother of Jesus. And how that James and his family weren't always on the same page with Jesus. They didn't always see eye to eye with Jesus. There are scriptures that suggest that James and his family thought that Jesus was out of his mind. And yet something happened, something after the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And and James, even though he wasn't always like his brother, he became more and more like his brother. So that by the time we get this letter that we're reading and studying from here in our church uh, during this series, we begin to see evidence that James has indeed become more like his brother Jesus. And so what I've suggested to you is that as we're reading from this letter that uh, we could call to mind stories and teachings of Jesus that would sort of reinforce what James is now sharing with us in this letter because he has in fact become more like his brother Jesus. There are a couple of stories in the Bible that come to mind for me as we read this story this morning where James seems to be suggesting that you shouldn't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow because you don't really even know what's happening tomorrow. One is a parable that Jesus told in Luke's gospel, the 12th chapter. Luke, uh, Jesus begins the parable this way. He says there was this really rich guy that had this really big piece of land. And this really rich guy that had this really nice piece of land uh, sowed the seeds. And when he harvested the crop, it was better than any other time that he'd ever harvested a crop on this land in his life. And this created a problem for the man in the parable. The problem was that his barn wasn't big enough to hold all of the grain that this bountiful harvest had provided. But the man said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will tear down this barn and I'll build bigger barns. Not just one, but I'll build a lot of big barns. And I will store all of this grain from this beautiful, wonderful harvest. And guess what? Then I can just eat, drink and be merry i could just take my shoes off and sit for a while i can just live off of this grain for years and years and years to come won't life be great but in the parable the voice of god is then heard and the voice of god says you are so foolish You're talking about tearing down this barn and building bigger barns and better barns to store all this grain, and you don't even realize that you're going to die tonight. It's as if he was saying you shouldn't worry about tomorrow. You can make all the plans that you want to, and you can think that you control your own destiny, but control is an illusion. There are so many things that you cannot control. There's some other stories that Jesus told that sound a lot like what James is sharing. You remember when Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and he said, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or the clothes that you wear. And then he talks about how the birds don't worry and the flowers of the field don't worry, how God provides bountifully for them. And in the same way, you shouldn't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. But instead, you should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you do, then all these other things, they'll be added unto you. James sounds a lot like big brother Jesus when he's telling these stories. I wonder when Jesus was telling those stories or when James was telling those stories, did he not think about some of the Old Testament readings from the Hebrew Scripture, uh, the story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness? You know, they'd been slaves to the Egyptians and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let God's people go and they followed Moses out and they're wandering around in the wilderness and it doesn't take them long to start complaining um, and they're complaining, saying stuff like, well, you know what? When we were back there in Egypt, even though we were in bondage, even though we were enslaved, we never had to worry about what we were going to eat. It was always going to be good food, and here we are wandering out in the wilderness, and we're going to starve to death. And so what did God do? God said, okay, I hear you're complaining. I hear you're grumbling. I'm going to provide you with some manna. You're going to go out, and you're going to collect this manna every morning. But here's what six days of the week i want you only to collect manna enough for that day don't collect any more. now on saturday on, on on the day before the sabbath i want you to collect enough for the sabbath because i don't want you to do anything on the sabbath but to keep it holy and what did the israelites try to do they they were afraid to relinquish control And so when they went out to gather that manna, they started putting back some for tomorrow. Oh, man, I'm just going to grab me a little bit more. Make sure that if God doesn't give me what God said he was going to give me, that, that I'll have some. And what happened to that manna? It spoiled. It was not any good. It was as if God was saying, don't you worry about tomorrow. That's outside of your control. You just trust me. You trust that I will provide for you. You trust that you can depend on me for your every need. There are so many things in the world that you might think you can control and so many things that you might can control. But there's so much that happens in the world that you cannot control. God wants us to have our ultimate dependence upon him. To trust and not fear. Um, now, please hear me. The, James is not saying here that we should be inactive. He's just remind a in, uh, call to inaction, to not do anything. I, I don't think that's what James would suggest to us at all. It's okay to, to, to try to plan for things. But just realize the important question is to ask, is are we really ultimately in control of much Of anything. And yet for as long as we human beings have been around. We've been trying to control as much stuff as we can control. You know um, I uh, did some research this week. You know the first insurance policy was about 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago. And the the, uh, Babylonian uh, leader that did it was named Hammurabi. Now I think that's how you say it. But I did grow up in Pulaski. So you know just... I think you're supposed to say it with authority and none of y'all will know anyway, but this. Um, so anyway, this is the first insurance policy 4,000 years ago. It was a set of governing laws about how to, to deal professionally with other people. And so in this set of laws was this caveat that if you incur a lot of debt and then something awful happens you lose your job, you lose your home, that your debt would be covered, forgiven, eliminated. That was the insurance policy that was here. And so what I want you to hear is that it's okay. Life insurance policies and pension programs, they're wonderful and they're fine and they can provide us some sense of control. But lest we forget, there is so much in this life that we cannot control. And that's what I think James is asking us to remember. It's like mist, it just vanishes, and we can't control it. And the more we try to control things, the more fear that that creates in us, the more anxiety that it creates in us. Now, I love to study the brain because one day I'm going to get one and I want to know how it works when I do it. I love to study the brain. There is a part of the brain that's called the limbic brain and, and, and people believe much smarter than I am that the limbic brain is the earliest developed part of the brain. And so whenever you and I get afraid or anxious, the first part of our brain that kicks in is the part of the brain that was there first. And in the limbic brain, whenever you and I get frightened or afraid or scareful, that limbic brain kicks in and there are three responses. Fight, flight, or freeze. Fight, flight, or freeze. And so whenever we try to control things in our life that we can't control, and whenever we begin to realize that things are going to happen that are outside of our control, and whenever we start spending way too much time trying to control, 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 it creates fear in us. And when we get scared, we either run away from God, or we just freeze where we are, or we try to fight with God and say, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you helping me? That's that limbic brain, that earliest part of the brain that's kicking in whenever fear is strongest in your life. But then the way the brain works is another newer part of our brain that developed after the limbic brain. It's just always a few seconds slower in responding. That's why When you drop something, you might say a word that you didn't intend to say. And then a split second later, you realize your three children are standing right there in front of you looking like this. That other part of the brain kicks in. Well, that other part of the brain, one of the things that it gives us is a different response to fear. And that, in a biblical sense, would be Self-sacrifice. To realize I can't control everything. That's going on in my life. And in the world. And instead of trying to control everything. What if we just said. If the Lord wills. Or if the Lord wishes. This allows us to, to try to uh, prepare for the future, to try to anticipate, to use the brain that God has given us to make decisions that will help us have a, a, a life that, that we long to live. But it also leaves room for God and the Holy Spirit, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wishes. It's a desire to seek not our own will, but the will of God. And what it requires is for us to just submit to this one that can be trusted, the one who has promised to take care of us, the one who's promised that his eye is always watching over us. And if we will submit to that God, and we will humble ourselves to that God, if we will trust that God, God will take care of us. I want to suggest to you that this sounds exactly like what James is talking about here. Big Brother Jesus. You know, Big Brother Jesus, one day he was teaching us how to pray. And he said, when you pray, I want you to pray this way. And he taught his disciples how to pray this prayer. And in this prayer, he said that what I want you to pray is that God's will be done, not yours. That God's kingdom come, not yours. To not pray for bread tomorrow, but to pray for today's bread alone. To realize That ultimately our trust needs to be in God. Because we're fooling ourselves. If we think we can control every little part of life. But we can submit to the one who is in control of every part of life. Well. We find it hard to trust God, don't we? I do. I mean, uh, preachers, you know, the only difference between me and you is I wear a robe on Sunday morning, right? Um, I find it hard at times to trust God. I find it hard not to try to control every aspect of my life. And and one of the reasons why I think it's so hard for us to submit to the will of God is because we've misunderstood the will of God. I had a clergy colleague of mine who was talking about this with me some time ago. And he said that, you know, Tommy, most of the time people think about the will of God as like a railroad track. It, it, a railroad track is just this one track and um And as long as you're on the track, you're in the will of God. But if something happens and you go off the track, that you're no longer in the will of God. And so that really uh, stresses people out to think that there's this one track, there's this one way, that there's this one idea of what God's will is, and, and that's all that there is. And he said, you know, I've come to realize that the will of God is less like a railroad track and more like just the road system in general that's around us you know if you and I wanted to leave Murfreesboro today and go join all those other people that obviously aren't here and have gone on down to Florida if we wanted to do that this morning there are several different roads that we could take to leave here and to get to Florida now some of the roads are easier to drive than others Some paths will get you there quicker than other paths. Sometimes you're on the road that you think you need to be on. And you end up getting off at the wrong exit. Or getting turned around. But those roads eventually. If you know where you want to go. And you're headed in that direction. Those roads will get you To Florida. And the will of God is a lot like that. It's not always just one clear path. Sometimes it's just knowing that I want to be in the will of God. And I want to follow the will of God. And I'm going to start moving in the direction of the will of God. But every once in a while I might take a wrong exit. Every once in a while, I might be on the road that'll get me there, but it won't get me there as quickly as if I'd taken this road over here. Every once in a while, we get turned around. And some roads are easier than other roads. But if we're seeking the will of God, and we're moving in that direction, there might be many ways to get there, but we will get there just gotta let go of our sense of control and trust the one that's calling us forward now I don't know what road you're on this morning maybe you're on the quickest path to the will of God maybe you're headed in the right direction but you've taken some detours along the way But I do want you to know that God's desire is for you to not try to control everything in your life. Because trying to control things that you can't control is only going to make you fearful and afraid. But the scripture says that perfect love casts out fear. And I believe that what Christ wants us to hear and what James wants us to hear in this passage today is to just realize that control is an illusion. But we do know and we can follow the one who is in control and the one who calls us to live into the will of God. And that's where you find real joy and real peace and real stability.